0: Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke, please. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Chapter 1, really, be, we're going to begin at verse 26 today. The sections, uh, verses 1 through uh, 25, really cover the uh, annunciation of John the Baptist. That is, when Gabriel came to his father, Zacharias, and told him uh, that he and his wife, Elizabeth, were going to bear a son, even in their old age, and that would be John, and he would be the forerunner of the Lord when he would come. But then we find in verse 26, Gabriel has another mission. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we'll be reading through verse 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray you would guide us now, open our hearts and minds to your word, and we pray that you would please, Lord, open your word to our hearts and minds. Give us understanding in the scriptures, we pray, and by your spirit, we pray you'd write it in our hearts. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at this passage. This has to do with the angel's annunciation to Mary that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. Now, if we go back to the Old Testament, the very last chapter, we find an interesting prophecy and a promise. The very last chapter of the Old Testament, if you turn back right before Matthew, is Malachi. Malachi. And we read in chapter 4. It says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord, nor will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name... The son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed cows. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So this promise of the son of righteousness arising with healing in his wings. If we go back to Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, he said, uh, referring to John the Baptist ultimately, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so then we have this prophecy that Elijah was going to come, the messenger would come to prepare his way, but that he was coming. This was given about 400 years before Jesus was born. And as some have pointed out, after Malachi, there was, according to all historical records and the testimony of God's people from that time, 400 years, four centuries of prophetic silence. So those today who say, well, God always speaks directly to his people. That's not true. He always spoke through prophets, not to every individual Israelite. Uh, but he didn't always give revelation. There were 400 years where they were told to trust in what God had promised and it would be fulfilled. That's important to understand because the hope and expectation of Israel was that the Messiah was going to come. And so when we begin reading the gospel accounts in Matthew and in Luke, particularly, when they recount the nativities uh, or the nativity accounts, the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, we realize this prophetic expectation of God's people, it was at its height. They knew from Daniel that from the going forth of the decree by the the Persians, by Cyrus, to uh, rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem, there would be 490 years. And that time, you know, that's the 70 weeks of Daniel, chapter 9, and that time from that period to the time that we read in the opening of the New Testament was 490 years. They had gone back in the first part and rebuilt the city and rebuilt the wall. And then they, they had prophets prophesying Haggai and Malachi and Zechariah are mentioned. And they're actually they wrote their prophecies down. And then when they finished, the city was there, the promises were given, uh, and then they waited. They waited for the Messiah to come. So they knew those who studied their Bibles understood that it was probably going to happen within their lifetime or soon thereafter. Uh, and because there was a several decrees given by the Persians to for the uh, Hebrews or the Jews to go back to the land, so there was always a question: Well, was it this one that was given here? Or was the one given a few years later? Which which exact decree was it? Was it Cyrus or was it Artaxerxes? Um, or Yerxes? Which which decree is it? And they all fall within the lifetime of our Lord Jesus Christ. So wherever you go back and relate it. 490 years after any of those, you're going to be either right at the birth of Jesus or during his earthly ministry. And when they said, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come into his temple. And some have said, well, when Christ went in and cleansed the temple. Others say, actually, when the Messiah was presented as a baby uh, to be circumcised and brought to the temple. When old Simeon came in and blessed him, we'll consider those, Lord willing, in a few weeks. Um, It was an awesome time. But here we come to the actual annunciation that the Messiah was going to come. Now, the messenger was going to come first. And that's why Luke starts with John's, uh, the promise of John the Baptist. And John was told he would be a forerunner. But now Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, or an angel of the Lord, he comes to a young woman, a virgin, in who lives in the city of Nazareth. And we've read the account. So six month. we know he's talking really about the sixth month of Elizabeth, uh, because if you read on in the passage, the uh, verse 36, the verse tells us this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So the uh, narrative is starting at that time. So six months after Elizabeth became with child, the angel Gabriel now comes to Nazareth and we're told it was the sixth month. And it says the uh, angel Gabriel was sent by God. That tells us something about angels. They don't just do whatever they want. He was sent by God, as all the elect angels do, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. She was engaged to Joseph. And actually, in the culture of the day, an engagement involved the marriage contract. But until the actual ceremony was uh completed they lived separately and they you know did not live as husband and wife but she was legally bound to Joseph that's why later in Matthew we, we read that when he found out she was with child and he didn't understand initially how that had happened says he was minded to put her away literally to divorce her privately he didn't want to make a public example of her because the public example of a girl that entered a marriage who had been unfaithful to her uh, betrothals was the punishment was death. And Joseph wasn't going to do that. He loved Mary. He was probably very brokenhearted initially until the Lord explained to him and she, in the dream, told him what had happened. But um here we see she comes, she's engaged to Joseph of the house of David. And the original actually it can be a reference to Mary that he was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of uh, comma of the house of David. But it refers to both of them if you look at the genealogy that Luke gives in chapter three of this gospel of his gospel he traces the genealogy of Mary all the way back to Adam and he traces Joseph's or excuse me Matthew traces Joseph's genealogy uh, all the way back to Abraham so it shows they're both and both of them both Joseph and Mary were of the house of David and so this uh, is true for both of them. The Virgin's name was Mary. It's interesting in the original; it, it's Miriam as a name on the end. We gave her Hebrew pronunciation there. All through this narrative, he calls her Miriam. That was her her name uh, in English. We just say Mary. So it's not a mistranslation. It's just translating what the name uh, means in English. So the angel comes in and he said, were rejoiced, highly favored one." Now this isn't a prayer to Mary, as some of the papers try to say. He's just simply greeting her. It's a greeting. Rejoice, highly favored one. One who has been shown grace, literally, in the original, the word highly favored is that word grace, uh, which shows us that Mary was the object of God's grace. So once again, those who uh, try to exalt her as a, you know, higher than she should be, they try to say Mary was sinless, and she wasn't sinless. She was the object of God's grace. The Lord is with you. That was true. Blessed are you among women. No, he doesn't say above women. He says among women, you are a blessed person, highly favored. She's a special vessel. She's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And so when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. You know, it's not every day an angel comes in and starts talking to you. Uh, and so she was troubled by this. You know, what is Who is this and what is this all about? Well, the angel had understanding of that, so he said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, literally grace, with God. And then he doesn't talk about the greatness of Mary. He talks about the greatness of the one she was going to bear. Remember the Isaiah prophecy that we started the service with? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so here he tells her, though, the name, his actual name, <clears throat> it is Emmanuel as to who he is, but he's given the name Jesus. So he tells her, he says, uh, you're highly favored of God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son that you call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua, and it's actually the name Joshua. You know, if you look in the Greek Bible, where uh, they use Greek words, obviously. Uh, the book of Joshua is the book of Jesus. It's Yeshua uh, or Jesus in Greek. And here the New Testament was written originally in the Greek language. So it says his name will be Iesus. Um, And so he is the one named the real Joshua. But the name Yeshua means salvation or savior. He will be named the savior. Now in Matthew one twenty-one, when Joseph was told about, uh, the nature of Mary's conception. He was told she's going to bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus uh, because he will save his people from their sins. You will call his name Savior because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, and so he tells her that. And then he tells her more about her son. He doesn't talk about the greatness of Mary for those that want to worship her. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That was the promise that the Messiah would reign over the house of David in Isaiah chapter 9. Remember, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, or the Father of Eternity, it could be understood. Um uh, and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. He shall reign over the house of David, it said. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And Gabriel clearly references that in his speech to Mary. He said he's going to give him the throne of his father, David, not the earthly throne, but the heavenly throne. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's not an exclusion of the Gentiles, because uh, we're joined to the house of Jacob. That is, we're adopted into God's family. We come, you Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And we are the spiritual Israel who are in Christ. Uh, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So Mary knew the scriptures. That's very clear because if we read on, uh, we come in verse 46 to the song of Mary. After she met with her cousin Elizabeth, who was getting ready to have a baby. Uh, Mary, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. We'll look at that next week, Lord willing. But as uh, Mary rejoices, it's clear if you read what's called the Song of Mary, this girl was filled with Scripture. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So this being said, Mary wonders, and she asks a question, not in unbelief, but just a a query to find out the how. Uh, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? She said, I'm a virgin. What are you talking about? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. There's going to be a very special thing happen to you. The power of God is, and he tells it's going to overshadow you, and the Greek is very clear. The English translates that perfectly. The shadow, the Shekinah glory, as it was later called or referred to in the rabbinical writings, that's sh- that glory of God, the cloud that appeared on Sinai. There's going to be a similar thing happen to you. And what happened at Sinai when the cloud appeared? Well, the Lord was there. Something wonderful and miraculous happened in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Uh, she didn't conceive naturally. There was no earthly father. God did a creative miracle. And. It was wonderful because the the one who was conceived as a human being in her womb the baby jesus he is also god and his person through all eternity with his divine nature one with the father and the holy spirit took to himself a human nature and was joined for eternity to our humanity in the incarnation is what we call the incarnation is from latin it means carne as the word means flesh so incarnation means that he took on flesh as john says in his gospel and the word became flesh and dwelt among us as paul says in first timothy three sixteen. great is the mystery of godliness god was manifested in the flesh and so he took to himself a human nature what all that involves you could write a, a, a million books and never get to the end of it okay the fact that the infinite, eternal, transcendent God entered into history and joined to himself a true human nature and a body, and became a man without not or without unbecoming God. Okay, he stayed who he is, but the person of Jesus, the Son of God through all eternity, was joined to his humanity. How did that happen? Well, as as the angel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Uh, Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, he is the Son of God through all eternity, but even as to reference to his humanity, he will be called the Son of God. Luke, in his uh, listing of the genealogy of Jesus through Mary, In Luke chapter 3, as he goes through and names all the people that Jesus was descended from, in verse 38 of chapter 3, the last verse, referring all the way back to Adam, says the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, uh, the son of Adam. Now it's italicized, Adam of God. Adam was created directly by God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, his humanity was created directly by God but nevertheless of the seed of the woman. Remember the promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God told the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and you will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Uh, the word souf can mean to bruise or crush. So uh, a reference to the seed of the woman Redemption would come about and the works of the devil would be destroyed. Now, that, that's what happened. Now, so he then tells her about Elizabeth and lets her know in verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And then she responds, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. That's the word doulos in the feminine. Doulos means slave. She's saying that, the, the, you know, the, the, the slave of the Lord, the, the female slave of the Lord. I belong to the Lord, a slave with a bond servant. Now, they don't translate that. It's, you know, a little nicer to say maidservant. But she refers to herself as a bondservant. She belonged to the Lord. She knew that. So this is a godly woman. So uh, she says, uh, behold, the handmaid of the Lord or the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So she said, she knew the scriptures well enough when he explained it to her. She recognized he's, he alluded to the Uh, prophecy of the virgin birth and the promise in in about the uh, kingdom of Messiah being forever. She understood that. I think probably most young women in Israel at that time wondered, you know, the ones uh, who were waiting marriage. I wonder if maybe I'll be the mother of the Messiah. And all of a sudden for Mary, it happened. She was the chosen vessel. So we can learn a, a lot from Mary. Mary is an awesome person in the Bible And there's a tendency in history, or Miriam of Nazareth, if we wanted to use a biblical term, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, true humanity. The problem is is that people dishonor her, I think, in two different ways. Either they make her to be less than what she was or is, uh, or more than what she was in God's plan of redemption. You know, some people just basically ignore her because of the idolatrous... uh, tendency of some to worship her so they don't just don't talk about her you know they they, she just she's just a person well she's just a person that's highly favored among god and was chosen to be the mother of the messiah so i think i think her character and her person deserve a little looking at okay this is not just anybody this is somebody very special but she's also no more special than any other object of god's redemption and god's plan she was chosen for a specific purpose now those make her less uh than well who she was or what she was when they fail to consider there's five things i listed here and i think they're they're pretty pretty clear and if we look to her as a role model we need to, to understand this is somebody that god used so we should we could learn from this they fail those who fail to consider her holy character and her love for god this is somebody that really loved the lord she doesn't argue with the angel once she understands what's going to happen she says let it happen according to your word Uh, Her gentle submission in faith to God's revealed will shows us her character. Also, her absence of doubt, questioning, or doubtful questioning, we could say, because she does ask a question, how can this be, saying, I do not know a man. But there's no unbelief in that question. She's simply asking the how. Uh, There's no complaining, like, oh, you know, I had other plans. I didn't really plan on getting pregnant before I'm married. Now I'm going to explain this to everybody, and boy, this is going to be an embarrassment, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, she doesn't do any of that. She's not like worried about all, all the ins and outs of how this is going to affect her life. She submits to it. She loves God. Uh, there's no complaining when told of God's plan and purpose for her life. And also, I think we can also say her immediate love for her promised son. Later, she refers in talking to Elizabeth as her savior. You know, my soul is rejoiced in God, my savior. She knew who it was that she was carrying. She was giving birth to his humanity, but the person was one who was no less than God, the son. And she loved him. Clearly, Mary loved her son, Jesus, uh, and he was the Messiah of Israel. And then finally, her being chosen by God to be the literal fulfillment of the first gospel promise that we mentioned already in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And the mother of the long-awaited Savior of the world. So, If we neglect to look at those things we really i think dishonoring her as a as a person mentioned in scripture and dishonoring god by ignoring what he did in her life there's another way that she's dishonored and that's the sad one that most people are too much aware of and that is those who attempt to make her more than what she was in god's plan of redemption mary was not and is not a co-redemptrix with jesus christ that's a term that is given to her by those who want to pray to her or they pray to their idea of who she is. They're not really praying to Mary, uh, but their idea of who she is, and they create this goddess, basically. They call her the queen of heaven and the fountain of all grace, et cetera. She's not the fountain of all grace. She received grace. The fountain of all grace is Jesus Christ. But there's those who teach, basically, well, you know, Jesus might get angry at you. Remember, we just read in Psalm 2, kiss the son lest he gets angry. So if you're smart, go to his mother, okay? Because she'll get you in good. That's the idea It's like, well, you know, except that Mary doesn't hear your prayers. Uh, Mary lived a normal life. From everything we know in history, she died at the end of her days. Her body rests in the earth. It's probably turned to ashes or dust at this point. Her spirit went to be with the Lord. She's awaiting the resurrection with everyone else. Okay, she was the object of God's redemption. Those who worship her say, oh, no, no, she was assumed up into heaven. The assumption of Mary, her ascension, she never died. They also talk about her immaculate conception, saying that when she was conceived, her mother and father, even though she was conceived by natural generation, they were kept from sin. So Mary is sinless. Where do you get that in the Bible? Okay, It's not taught in God's word, but they do that because they want to make her a savior. So it's a carryover, I believe, from the old paganism of the Roman, Gre- Greco-Roman world. But whatever it is, it's satanic. It's not from God. Because there's no mediator between God and men except the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan will have you pray to anything and everything except Jesus. So, hey, look, let's say his mother is co-redemptrix and you need to pray to her, make her the object of your devotion. You know, set up a statue of her or a picture, pray to that. All the while they're taking Mary, this beautiful young lady set forth in scripture who is absolutely awesome in her love for the lord and her submission to god's will and the fact that she was entrusted with bringing up baby jesus if you want to call him that at that point this is an awesome person and then they take and just pervert everything about her and try to make her into a goddess and by doing that those who follow that false teaching provoke the wrath of god against themselves you know i don't know if you caught in jeremiah and in the other sections of scripture the the Israelites were rebuked for worshiping, quote, the queen of heaven. That was a pagan deity. And, but they they had their mother child cult, okay? And uh, the Babylonians had it and other cultures did. uh, The Egyptians definitely had it. Not gonna get into all their false gods. Their names don't deserve to be mentioned. But we had this mother child cult throughout history. They say that when the Roman Catholics went up into China early on, and they were trying to tell them the wonderful news about the Virgin Mary. The Chinese are like, well, we have that goddess in our pantheon, the mother child you're talking about. And they went, oh, oh, that's really Mary. So they just baptized some of the images and said, well, keep praying to your image. Just remember, you know, it's Mary. Completely dishonoring this young woman who God chose to be the mother of Jesus. She's not co-redemptive. She's not to be venerated or prayed to. She's to be respected as anybody else. If you respect Mary, well, you should also respect John the Baptist and Isaiah and Joseph. There are two people that God used in the Bible, uh, Peter, Paul and uh, John and the others. These are people God used, but we don't pray to them and we don't venerate them as if somehow there's extra grace if you mention their names in prayer or something like that. Mary does not intercede for sinners to her son, Jesus Christ in heaven. There's one mediator between God and men. Mary was not sinless. She talks about being the object of God's grace and God as her savior, uh, very clearly. And she was not a perpetual virgin. And scripture is clear. We'll look at a couple of texts here in a moment that Mary had a normal married life with Joseph after Jesus was born. Uh, they had children. Jesus's brothers are named in the scriptures. And some say, "Well, those were those were fellow believers. Those were people who believed him." No, because in John chapter seven, verse five. John writes and says, at least at that point in in Jesus's ministry, that his brothers did not believe on him. So his brothers were not yet believers. And if you read John's gospel, that comes out. After his resurrection, it appears he appeared appeared to them, and they became believers. Um, In Matthew 1.25, it says that Joseph knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, Uh, and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph and Mary had a normal married relationship. In the Middle Ages, people started getting the idea that, well, you know, marriage involves physical activity and the flesh is sinful. So the love between a husband and a wife, that's yucky. So we're just going to say that's sinful. And if you really want to be spiritual, remember that word from last week, then you want to become celibate. You want to not get married, become a. A priest that doesn't get married, whereas scripture says if you're going to be a minister of God's word, you should be married. The normal uh, idea is be married and have children. Okay, that's in 1 Timothy. And then they tell young girls, oh, you should dedicate your life and be a perpetual virgin like Mary and don't get married. Well, That works really good if you get the the children of nobility to do that, because then when they uh, die childless, their inheritance would go to the church. You know, that's how... The Church of Rome built up huge tracts of lands, Uh, it still does in countries. But celibacy is not taught in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's warned, Paul says, that in the latter days, one of the signs of apostasy is that they would command to abstain from marriage. And that's not taught in the Bible. That is, celibacy is not there. Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She was a good mother. And there's nothing sinful about marriage or the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Marriage is honorable in all, Paul said, and the bed undefiled. And so, this idea that somehow uh, married people are less than holy than, the, than those that are celibate is just an absolutely false idea. And to say that Mary was a perpetual virgin, the only reason they do that is they want to be able to worship her as a goddess. And, uh, you know, not the real Mary, the people that are worshiping statues and have their whole theology or Mariology about who she is and all that's not Mary. They're not praying to Mary in the Bible. They're praying to some figment of their imagination that doesn't exist. So it's important to recognize who Mary is and what she isn't. Her general submission and faith to God's revealed will is very important. She was troubled by Gabriel's greeting, but not by God's promise to her. She wasn't sure what was going on, but once she understood, she was happy about it. Because she knew God's word and undoubtedly the prophecy of Isaiah concerning the virgin conception of the Messiah in 7.14 of Isaiah. Once she understood Gabriel's announcement to her from God, she accepted her calling as the woman whose seed would crush the serpent's head and be the savior of the world. That's why she says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. May it happen to me according to your word. So that's what happened. Also, as I mentioned, if we're going to consider uh, her character, uh, her love for God, it becomes abundantly clear from her testimony and praise is recorded. As I mentioned, the song of Mary, it's a quote. This girl really loved Jesus. That's the, uh, the song is often called the Magnificat it comes from, that's from the Latin Bible in the Western church. Magnificat anima mea dominum. My soul magnifies the Lord and exalts. And my spirit, uh, ex- exalts in, in God, my savior. Uh, she was, as her heart's song of praise reveals, a young virgin maiden filled with the word of God's promise and enlivened by his Holy Spirit. Uh, we should note her godly character because she is the woman that God prepared to give birth to and raise his son in his humanity. So we don't dishonor her by recognizing this is an awesome person in the Bible and a good role model. Third, her absence of doubt and questioning or complaint when told of God's plan and purpose for her question, how shall this happen, seeing I know not a man, was one of asking how the promise would occur, not if it could occur. Now, Zacharias, earlier in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, when Gabriel had told him that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son, uh, he asked, it's very similar, his question. He mentions, you know, we're old, What's, how's this going to be? But there was clearly unbelief in Zachariah's question, and Gabriel points it out to him. That's why Zachariah was told, You're going to not be able to speak until the baby's born. Because he doubted if it could be done. He judged God's promise by his circumstances. This is a really important lesson for us to learn because we do this all too much. He looked at his circumstances. I'm old. I love my wife. She's still beautiful, but she's pretty old past childbearing me too. So he looks at his circumstance. And he says, how can this be? The difference between him and Mary is Mary judged her circumstances. According to God's promise. You can get the distinction there. Zacharias looks at his circumstances. How can this be? Mary looks at God's promise and she says, how can this be? How's this going to happen? Okay, so Zacharias, he judged God's promise by his circumstances, whereas Mary judged her circumstances by God's promise. Go and do likewise, okay? Uh, we need to do that. Whatever your circumstances are, look at God's promise. And yeah, don't look and go, well, oh, that's not going to happen. How can that happen? I, you know, I don't have the means of that happening. If God's promised you something, trust him. I mean, in his word, okay? And we need to study the word. And how are you, I've said this before. You're sitting right here in a pew at Grace Presbyterian Church Sunday morning what is it the 27th of November 2022 all right uh, first Sunday in Advent how are you going to get yourself into heaven? how are you going to get yourself in the glory? you don't know do you do but you do know because you know the one who is the way okay and we're here because we do believe God can do what he promises. Okay, we don't look at our circumstances, well, I'm on earth. Yep, both my feet are on the ground. I have no idea how this is going to happen. Well, I do know how it's going to happen. Christ is going to return in glory on the last day. We're going to be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be caught up and be with him. And we'll be received in the glory by his power and his doing. He knows how to get you into heaven. And so we don't look at our circumstances and say, nah, I don't see how that can happen. We look at our circumstances and say, wow, praise God. It's going to be awesome when he does it. We judge our circumstances by god's promise tomorrow's monday some you're going to be going to work or having to deal with problems who knows what the week holds okay hopefully this day will be good sometimes problems happen on sundays okay but you've got a future ahead. there's going to be some trouble jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation so what do you do do you let your circumstances control your life well you have to deal with them but god's promises are what should be controlling your life that is you trust him in the midst of adverse circumstances, whether in life or in death. So we see this with Mary. Also, her immediate love for her promised son, as I mentioned. She, uh, she was told her son's name by the angel. And by the way, she, they named him Jesus. That's his name. She obeyed. His name in Hebrews I mentioned is salvation. And she said, you know, my soul, my spirit rejoiced, rejoiced in God, my Savior, Also, fifthly, her being chosen by God to be the literal fulfillment of that first gospel promise. And so this is an awesome person. And to honor her uh, as we would honor any of the saints mentioned in Scripture is to recognize this was a really awesome person who was a fantastic role model uh, in her submission to God's will and her love for the Lord. Remembering these things about Miriam of Nazareth, Jesus' mother, Uh, according to the flesh, that is, of the house of David, uh, we need to recognize that Mary's story isn't about her. It's about Jesus. You notice when Gabriel came, and I mentioned this when I was reading it, he didn't come to Mary and say, oh, well, you know, Mary here, let me tell you all about you and how in the future, now you will be blessed in in future generations. She even says it later. They're going to call her blessed, and we do say that. But he didn't say, "Well, and here, you know, people are going to worship you," and blah blah blah. That would have that would have made her sad to hear that. Like when John fell down before the angel, and the angel said, "Get up! I'm one of your fellow servants. Don't worship me. Worship God." Um, Mary is this awesome person, but her story is about Jesus. So, if you want to honor Mary, remember the last thing in John's Gospel, the last recorded words of Mary, was at Cana, the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And when the servants, you know, were told they, because they'd run out of wine at the wedding, it was an embarrassment. And she went to Jesus and said, they're out of wine. And he, says, he said, woman, and that wasn't a disrespectful term. He just basically said, lady, what does that have to do between you and me? And then she turns to the servants. She knew her son. She turns to her servants and she says to them, this is the last recorded words of Mary. So if you want to honor Mary, listen to what she said. She turned to the servants and said, whatever he says to you, do it. <laughs> uh, if you want to honor Mary, then listen to what she said. Her last words about her son, Jesus, the Messiah was, whatever he says to you, do it. So if someone says, well, they want to honor Mary, well, you better honor what she said because she didn't say pray to her. She didn't say to worship her. She didn't say to ignore her. She just said, whatever my son says, do that. Whatever he says, do it. And sure enough, when Jesus told him to fill the jugs up with water, they were massive jugs, he gave him several hundred gallons of wine at that wedding, Uh, it happened because she went to him. No, she went to Jesus, same way we do. Okay, So we need to know who she is and all the things about her, but most of all, we need to know who her son is. He is God incarnate. He is God manifested in the flesh. In Colossians 2.9, it says, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is the one that we are to be amazed at, because Mary was amazed at who her son really was. She knew she was the mother of his humanity, but she also recognized that he is the savior of the world. So in regard to Mary, it's not who she is that makes her unique, but what God himself did in her. And so if we say, well, what exactly was it? Well, a good word to describe the incarnation is incomprehensible. It's above human reason to fully comprehend. That means to get knowledge that that completely encloses what the event was. It's impossible and above human reason to fully comprehend what happened. As the angel of Gabriel said to to Mary, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Something happened there. Eternity and time were united. The transcendent God came into history in a very unique way. The incarnation of Christ, when we describe it, and other doctrines also, we say they're supra-reason, meaning above. They're not contra-reason. Augustine was the one that first set forth that distinction. It's beyond our ability to fully understand what transpired when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as John wrote in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. It's not against reason, when we apply our minds to consider the inexpressible greatness of what happened. This is why we say it is super reason and not contra, but we are amazed at it. You know, this whole Christmas Advent season that we celebrate, it really should be a time of amazement and wonder. It's great we get to be with family, friends, have gifts, decorate, and it's, it's nice. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful time, and our culture has been affected by the coming of the Messiah in some really wonderful ways. But the wonder of it all is who Jesus is. He's the Savior. He's the one that became incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Uh, And then he was born. And so we're going to consider him in the days ahead. So we have plenty to celebrate as we think about Mary. We don't want to ignore her. We certainly don't want to buy into the people who make an idol out of her. We need to just thank God for the revelation and the history recorded in Scripture so that we can say, thank you, Lord, for this young virgin Miriam of Nazareth Mary the mother of Jesus we thank you for her life and we thank you for the other saints Lord also that set a good example for us to follow and the one we're all following is her son God's son the savior Jesus Christ may God give us grace to do so let's pray father we thank you Lord for your word that it's true we thank you for the historical record that you gave us help us to hold fast to scripture so that we don't fall into the error of uh, neglecting or despising those things or those persons lord that you used in ages past and also lord that we wouldn't uh, make them more than they are lord but that we'd recognize that there's only one savior of the world only one mediator and advocate your son jesus christ but we thank you lord jesus for coming into this world help us lord we pray to search out these these wonderful truths regarding the incarnation your coming and taking our humanity to yourself and what that fully means. And we know, Lord Jesus, you did that so that you could come into humanity in a sinless manner, so that you could then bear our sins, because you didn't owe anything. sin, Death had no claim on you, but you became identified with our sin, and so you, as the sinless sacrifice, were able to save us. So, Lord, we understand a little bit from Scripture. We pray you'd open your word more to us so that we could as we celebrate your first coming, Lord, and your incarnation, that we really understand more fully what you did for us when you came to suffer and die and then rise again, Lord, for us. So we thank you. So, Father, we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And we have a closing hymn.